Welcome to the Dubcast, the Clemson Dubcast. First day of May, Saturday morning, here in the lovely upstate, South CAC. Draft continues. Plenty of analysis at TigerIllustrated.com about that by your, yours truly and Paul Strelo. Also, continuing position-by-position analysis of the 2021 edition of the Clemson Tigers. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments is isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Okay, to our interview with Kyle Young, a Clemson guy, if there ever was one. He played at Clemson, works at Clemson. His grandfather, Ed McClendon, played for the Tigers' 1939 Cotton Bowl team. His brother, Will Young, played for the Tigers from 92 to 95. And his father-in-law, Ben Watson, lettered for the football team in 1969 and 1970 at Clemson. Fun conversation here with Kyle about the inner workings and mechanics of his job in the athletics department and lots more. Enjoy. Here we go. All right, joined by Kyle Young, Clemson's Associate AD for Administration. How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing well. Hope you are. I am. I am. What is the biggest item on your plate right now? Is it mainly the soccer program? Is the the men's soccer? Is they getting ready for the NCAA's? You know, Mike Newton's. Uh, he's got that 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 handled pretty good. So uh, for me. Um, you know, you read out my title, Associate AD for Administration. Uh, we're kind of in the hiring season, right? Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, slowdown with COVID, uh, but uh, we're, we're coming out of that. And uh, so it's just kind of the time of the year where uh, some folks leave. Uh, and then we also have some, some new opportunities uh, that have been created inside the department. So kind of managing all of that and making sure that those all get uh, executed, that's, uh, that's probably the biggest thing going on right now. I certainly don't want to pry, um, but are, it, it, what are the specifics, if, if, you, if you can, 
about the uh, openings and all that stuff that you're yeah well i mean obviously we have uh, and some of it's already been announced right i mean the idea that uh you know anthony gordon's went to uh boston college and uh kareem richardson is coming on board on the the men's basketball staff so that'd be that'd be one example of a of a change that's occurred and there have been several others just inside the department from a support staff standpoint uh you know things like that that uh just are a, a normal course of business right uh, uh that uh, that we have to kind of deal with uh, periodically so in the case of of uh richardson who mm-hmm. whose, whose hire was announced last week obviously you know the head basketball coach is is the the primary guy there. What is your, can you, can you yeah, take us into sort of a TikTok yeah, and into your involvement in, in sort of that hire, I guess, as representative of the typical process? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my role here is to really interface with human resources. Um, and so one of the, one of the steps there is just making sure that we're, we're taking care of the, the blocking and tackling, right? Uh, the basics of getting a new employee on board. So that's that's one part, you know. So working with, with whether it's Coach Brownell or, or or some other hiring manager on on you know making sure that they're they're checking boxes, doing the right things from a hiring standpoint. That's one one element of the of the role. Obviously, when we we get a position like Kareem's. Um, you know, there there are contracts involved. There's obviously board approval uh, that's involved, and so you know, I'm I'm very much engaged in 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 both of those processes in terms of uh, ensuring that the board has the materials that they need to review, uh, but also that uh, the contracts are set up through our really, you know, through our legal uh, legal offices to to ensure that all of that's taken care of. So. Those are just some of the, the basic steps that I'm engaged in there. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with a, with a new employee, there's always questions, right? And uh, so just just managing that element of, uh, you know, of being there for Kareem when he's got questions or any other new employee when they've got questions about transitioning from wherever they are to Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, that's always a, uh, a fun conversation. Um, you know, one... I don't have a lot of experience living elsewhere. Uh, so trying to help people understand, especially people that have never been to Clemson, right? And try to or, you know, try to help them understand what Clemson is and, uh, uh, you know, what relocating to Clemson might be like for them. Um, you know, obviously I've got the, the orange tinted glasses on whenever I have that conversation and I try to be transparent about that. But uh, um, that's, that's part of my role as well. So reading from your bio here, your responsibilities include supervision of baseball, men's soccer, women's soccer, men's golf, women's golf, and when you got an old bio, buddy. You got an old <laughs> oh, bio. Oh, you want to yeah. refresh? <laughs> yeah, we can refresh. Okay. Let's hit refresh on that one. So yeah, uh, from a supervision standpoint, currently just just work with uh, baseball and men's soccer. Okay. Um, and so obviously those those two sports are usually not in the same season. But uh, you referenced men's soccer previously, and uh, you know I wish I could take some credit for where we're at from a men's soccer standpoint. You know, obviously number one in the country, um, and but the the job that Coach Noonan and his staff have done is just 
it's phenomenal. And, and of course, you know, Mike has been uh, just a, a tremendous coach and tremendous employee for almost well over a decade now. Uh, but the work that they've done and the, and the really the product, right? Cause at the end of the day, some of the, some of your best coaching jobs happen in seasons where, you know, the typical fan would look at it and like, ah, that's just average, or it might've even been a, a bad season. Um, and I've, I, and I've seen Mike at his best in some of those challenging, challenging moments this year, though, you're looking at a fall season where we finished the season ranked number one in the country, right? get three guys drafted in the first round of the MLS draft, lose two of those. And we also lose an, a generation Adidas guy who's, you know, basically the same thing as a first round draft pick. So three, three of our top players uh, from the fall season are gone. And he's able to put together a team that looks very, very different than the team in the fall that maintains that number one ranking at the end of the fall seasons just it really is a it's it's really mind-blowing it would be like so i can equate this for folks who don't understand soccer it would be like clemson football mid-season losing trevor lawrence um travis etn and uh pick one of our our best wide receivers right but then also having, I don't know, I guess a good good example would probably James Skowski, having him drafted in the first round and make the decision to come back and finish the second half of the season. That's what happened. That's what's happened with men's soccer this year. Mm. So I'm not sure that I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I think when you when you compare it to football, it might resonate. But, uh, um, you know. I'm not sure it has necessarily resonated with a lot of folks exactly what type of uh, job and really what type of team we've got there on the on the pitch this uh, this year. Yeah, really, so, really amazing. How did he do it? I mean, just sort of digging a little deeper, like uh, into sort okay. of the mechanics of the season. Like, what's the most remarkable thing to you? Just beyond that, like how he was able to to. Uh, you know, withstand all that attrition. Yeah, you know, and, and it, it really, you know, it's it's not like it's one of those things that just you flip a, a switch and that happens, right? There's a there's a culture that's that's built into the program. You know, you think of and football's another good example. Folks that are listening, they they think football, they think culture, and and, and it is. You know, we we've got the best culture of of any football program in the country. Um, could very well argue the same thing. Now it's a very different culture inside of our of our soccer program, uh, but I could very very well argue the same thing with our soccer program, men's soccer program. That is quite possibly the best culture uh, in the country, and it's a it's it's made up of a you know obviously a foundation that's that's laid by the leader, the head coach, uh, but then there's buy in. You've got to have buy in, um, and there are about. I don't know, in the neighborhood of about 30 guys on that team that have pretty much all bought in. Um, you know, dealing with COVID, uh, as we all have over the past year, I'm not sure there's a program that's done it any better than our men's soccer program. They uh, they sacrificed, right? They're in a brand-new soccer facility, and it's really, really nice, great, great facility uh, that uh, gives them the opportunity to – 
you know, kind of access their practice fields and access meeting rooms, uh, you know, fairly easily. Um, but they've sacrificed. They've sacrificed and have not been in their locker room since the building's opened. Uh, did that from a standpoint of, okay, making sure that, uh, you know, they, they, they practiced this, it created the safest circumstances possible to avoid uh, any kind of COVID shutdown. And, uh, you know, obviously you can only control a little virus as much as you can, but the, those types of efforts, those types of sacrifices, those are the things that you see that uh, go across the spectrum, not just in the world of COVID, but in, you know, their academic lives. You look at this team and it's made up of guys that really hit on, I don't know, there's probably 10 or 12 different majors inside of that program. You know, there's no clustering of academic majors. Uh, you know, the, you look at them from a diversity standpoint, there is probably no, no group of people there. I guarantee there's no group of people in the state and in, in, in Clemson, South Carolina, that's as diverse as this group. I think there's about nine or 10 different countries represented in addition to about seven or eight South Carolinians who are a part of that part of that team. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ingredients that go into the soup. Uh, but over time, Mike is, has done a phenomenal job of, of, of mixing it together. And this is, this has been a tremendous year for him and hopefully it'll continue. I had him on the podcast last summer. I want to say it was like June, maybe before, I don't know, somewhere around there. Well, maybe you get the, maybe that's where it all started. That's what we, <laughs> yeah, that's the secret ingredient. Who knows what else, what's in store for me after this? I wasn't suggesting I had <laughs> But you you feel free to. Um There you go. There you go. But at the time there was so much uncertainty in athletics in general with what was going to happen. And, you know, while the football staff or basketball staff, you know, they're concerned about, you know, getting their players in from other parts of the country, other parts of the region. Mike is like, man, I got X number of players on the other side of the planet. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, there were, there were restrictions on travel and things like that. Like I, I mean, I felt bad for him because I, I wasn't, you know, pessimistic, but it was hard not to be like, well, how is, how is this going to be managed with all of these people from far flung locales and, and all that? Can you maybe go back, take us back to, to that time and what it was like for you as, as you and he and other people were trying to navigate all that uncertainty, the logistics and all that? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and we also have two guys that are on campus right now that were supposed to be on campus in the fall. Um, both have been fairly significant contributors, uh, this spring. And so, um, it didn't all work out, right. Yeah. It didn't all work out in the fall. Um, but you know, to your, I think you, I think you mentioned this, but there were, there were a lot of folks that were involved and it's not just a, uh, an athletics only, um, effort. I mean, it was institutional effort, right. Uh, whether it was through our academic support, uh, staff, uh, you know, Lindsey Ricketts and Steve Duzan and that crew just, uh, working with, um, internet, the, the international office to, uh, to do everything we could to, to get folks back. And, 
and credit to the uh, the guys that that are that are from overseas. Um, you know, they when you, when you asked them to do something, they did it. And uh, you know, that's not always the case with teenagers. You know, yeah. I got a couple of them at the house, and uh, they're good boys. But uh, it's not always the case that uh, when you ask them to do something, it gets done. And so, um, you know, again, that just that just kind of speaks to the culture of the of the, of the program uh, and uh, to the type of guys that that are a part of it. Just for clarity, and I should know this, but I don't. Who are the two guys who who missed the fall? <laughs> you, you're trying to give me a trick question here because. Uh, uh, they are some. Uh, they're not the easiest. Uh, oh, easiest pronunciations. Yeah. So. Uh, gotcha. Um, so we'll. Uh, I, I can get those for That's you. That's okay. Uh, we can add them to the podcast if we need to. I. Uh, I just thinking back, like over the last year, like what. What has it been like for you, and and how 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 did sort of the. The world being up, turned upside down affect your your duties the most and your job the most. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. We, uh, you know, there there were there were some challenges, obviously, from a, a personnel standpoint, uh, where we're uh, freezing uh, from a, from a hiring uh, perspective. Um, you know, there were some uh, there were some sacrifices from our staff, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, compensation and things of those, things of that nature, uh, that we had to work through. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest with you, it, it was, it was well received. I think the folks here at Clemson all kind of jumped on board to try to pull their own weight, to kind of keep us, keep us where we needed to be, uh, from a health standpoint. Um, and I'm not just talking physical health, but also financial health standpoint. Um, you know, I think back, I look back to when this all happened. Right. And it's, you know, I mentioned the other sport that I work directly with is baseball. And I'll look at the, where that team was when the decision was made, you know, we weren't necessarily on the court at the ACC tournament, like Ben's basketball was, but we were rolling pretty good. Um, you know, had some had a had a starting rotation on the weekend that not many teams wanted to face. Um, you know, at thirteen and three, uh, when the when the horn was 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 blown, um, you know, that was pretty tough. Uh, and so, and then you talking about a group that just you know basically just lost their lost their entire season. Um, you know, it was you look at you know this past fall and. Yeah, there were some some challenges and, and and whatnot. It wasn't the exact same experience for for the student athletes who participated this fall, but they didn't lose an entire season. Um, and uh, you know, so kind of navigating through that, helping folks kind of manage that. That's uh, that's probably been some of the the biggest struggle or one of the biggest struggles. Uh, but uh, but we're back on the field now, and uh, obviously. Uh, uh, baseball's had a tough, tough season uh, thus far. At least not uh, either relative to uh, the seasons that uh, we've we've come to expect around Clemson. But they're they're you know they're battling, they're competing. Had a great weekend this weekend with Wake Forest, and so um, you know it's just just interesting looking at a at a team that's got about forty five guys on it, and only nine of them 
nine of them play at a time. But uh, you know, those types of things are just kind of part of the of reality right now. Can you take me back to March of twenty when, like, where were you when you can, or just back to when you it first dawned on you or you first heard that okay, it's looking like it's a real possibility that the that everything might be shut down, and then the point where you or whoever had to tell uh, Monty Lee and the team that it was, uh, you know, get off the bus or whatever, whatever, wherever it was. Like how to just sort of yeah. re- re- recreate that yeah. picture. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure how introspective that'll be. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we didn't, it's not like I had to call Monty and, you know, I know that we had a, I think our, I think maybe our women's golf program team was out in, uh, out in Arizona you know, something to that effect where we said, Hey, you got to get on a plane and get back here now. That kind of, you know, so it's, uh, um, but it's, it's just working through, um, all the folks that lost their season, right. Do they want to come back? Can they come back? You know, and it's constantly this, you know, these discussions without any clarity of, really what the rules are and then the rules come out and okay, now we can make a decision. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a kind of one of those ongoing cycles. Uh, you, you, when you look, when you think about it, it's very similar to the way the football season worked, right? This looking back at this football season, there was a lot, a lot of things that happened that you would have never expected could happen in the middle of a football season. The, the best example, of course, is the BYU Coastal game, right, that took place after, you know, about a, you know, two days worth of planning. Um, you know, and that's that's been really uh, kind of uh, just the way it's it's gone in, in all of these areas. And so uh, I wish I could provide a little more introspective insight into uh you know the decisions and the conversations but they all kind of run together yeah uh i guess at any rate we had uh jeff callen on i guess around a month ago and we were talking about early august that really (laughs) super monumental pivotal point when it was looking like everything football was was not going to happen Right. And, uh, of course, Trevor Lawrence, Darian Rencher, and others uh, sort of started using their platforms and uh, to, to let everybody know they wanted to play. What was that? I mean, because I remember I was – the people I was talking to right around that time were like, it doesn't look good, Larry. And I'm just thinking, what am I <laughs> What am I going to do for the next <laughs> four months? Yeah, what are you going to do, right? Uh, and, 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 and even yeah. – uh, I'm not, not Jeff Callen um, – uh, Jonathan Gant, my bad. Uh, gotcha. Gant was, he said that before, you know, before it, it, right around that time when it was looking bleak, he's looking around going, are we going to have, are we going to have jobs next week? I'm just curious to get the, the, the feel for the sort of inside of an athletic department, what that's like. I know what it was like to me as I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, what I'm going to do, uh, what I'm going to write about. But it also had some obviously very acute, um, left some acute feelings on the inside as well as y'all are trying to process it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously that was a a huge decision. Um, 
you know, whether or not football was to be played. Uh, you know, our department is built around the idea that, you know, we play sports and our, our student athletes have are out there on the fields, the courts, whatever, the track, the, you know, whatever, you know, and so, you know, on the water. And so uh, the idea for them not to be out there, um, well, why are we here? Yeah. Why are we here if we're not out there? And so, you know, there were obviously several conversations about that. So if, you know, we, we pretty much all of our, our discussions internally, we had to look at multiple models, right? Models that existed that were, okay, yeah, we're not playing sports. Okay, if we're not playing sports, then who really needs to be here? Right. Yeah. And so uh, that, that that was a conversation that that took place, and fortunately, that was not something we ever not, you know had to move forward with. Uh, with hey, folks don't need to be here. Uh, we were all here, and we stayed here, and for the most part, unless folks left on their own, they're still here. Um, and then the you know from a uh, you know a plan and you know the other the other model of course is where we landed which was you know not a, not a lot of people could show up to could come to games but some people could come to games which you know I think where we're at right now from a, uh, a financial standpoint uh, you know and and the folks that crunch the numbers have done a really good job of of getting us to a point where. You know, we're back to a fairly healthy, uh, health, healthy spot. So, uh, yeah, those were, those were not not fun conversations and definitely not fun um, models to be playing with. I feel like, I guess, I have a fairly good feel for you, for for what you do. But the average person out there, they see or hear sports supervisor. What what is that? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, I've got uh, my undergrads in education and uh, did a master's in, uh, in secondary ed administration, which would be kind of like, uh, you know, you think of principals and vice principals, superintendents, things of that nature, right? So I like to, I like to think of sports supervisors in that model, uh, kind of like a, a an assistant principal, a vice principal, you know, um, someone that's responsible for, uh, you know, ensuring that programs are resourced, uh, but also, um, you know, interfacing with uh, the boots on the ground, which are your, your coaches and your student athletes and your support staff, uh, and, and then kind of serving as that liaison between that group and various administrative and, you know, broader support areas. Uh, so as a, as a, as a sports supervisor, you're kind of like a, kind of like that middle manager, right? Um, that point of contact for, for head coaches and for student athletes when, when issues arise. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of five, you know, firemen type work, you know, putting out fires, not, not, not literally, of course, I don't, don't, wouldn't equate myself to a fireman from that perspective, but, uh, that's kind of the role. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, I I usually, I like to joke with folks. It's, uh, you know, 
people that they pay me to, to, to go to soccer matches and baseball games. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but that's, that's, that, that's, that's just kind of the fun part of it. The rest of it's, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts yeah. kind of stuff. So you have the more direct relationship with Mike Newton and Monty Lee than say Dan Radakovich or, or not. Yeah. I, I, you know, in terms of the day to day, relationship yes now dan the, the way dan operates huh, dan's dan's engaged with he's engaged with every single one of them yeah and uh you know um dan is dan is very very engaged with his coaches and so uh yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily call it more direct it's just the day-to-day stuff yeah that's i'm 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 where they would typically go yeah, he's everywhere. Like a lot of ADs out there. There is. There's no doubt about it. He is everywhere. <laughs> um, so when when there is a hire, like a head coach hire in baseball or soccer, do you take a a a a, a role in that um, in that hire, or is that just does that depend on the AD? Like Dan take take mainly responsible for that, or can you maybe? Sure, yeah, how that I process mean, it, works. it absolutely depends on the AD, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, Dan is Dan's going to make the final decision on, on any coaching hire for sure. And ultimately, uh, you know, I would say any hire, but at the end of the day, you know, he, he, he'll give a lot of discretion to, to hiring managers in, in, in most cases, but, uh, but especially from a head coaching standpoint. Now, he's going to rely heavily on sports supervisors uh, to run point, kind of serve as the hiring manager there. Um, and, uh, and really, um, you know, I'll be engaged in, in any of our hires just because of the role that I have on the personnel side of things. Uh, but yeah, the, the sports supervisor is going to be, be kind of the, the point guard, if you will. But Dan's definitely the head coach you know, in terms of that analogy. It's not a probably not a good analogy, yeah. but when you talk about hiring head coaches, but um, but yeah, he's 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 going to be the he's going to be the final say for sure. So, can you give us maybe a sort of behind the curtain on the the Monty Lee hire? Like, how did that start? Like, were you the one who initiated contact? Like, what was your role in that uh, in that sort of play by play? Man, holy smokes, you're going back now. That's probably, what, <laughs> six, seven years ago. Um, could we maybe do a more recent hire might be better, sure. but uh, you're, 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 you're stretching me. Well, I'm you're just stretching curious, my like, mind. Uh, just the, what, the, what the, the, the mechanics of it are for or, or yeah, have been yeah, so let, for you. Yeah, let's, let's talk mechanics. We can talk mechanics in a general sense because we've had some additional head coaching hires since Monty, and I think we've really kind of created a model for how we do that now. Um, we have a partner who is a, uh, a kind of a search firm uh, with Ventura. Actually, it is a search firm, but Chad Chalice uh, heads it up, um, the external kind of consultant with us that, that does a really good job of helping us pull together a candidate pool. Right. And, uh, you know, we work with we work with Chad to, to really identify what the profile of a of, of the head coach that we're looking for um, would be. And it varies. It can vary from uh, from from time to time in sport to sport, depending on where a certain program is and where we see it going. Um, 
but uh, but Chad helps us with that, and then he then he goes out and starts looking for for potential candidates, and uh, and we populate that, and then obviously we're looking as well, and if and we'll add that those potential candidates to the list, and Chad will help us vet those, um, you know, and then it's you know usually again it's the the sports supervisor that runs runs point on that search, and uh, and then there's a a handful of, of others who are who are engaged in in reviewing materials, participating in the in the dialogue with the candidates, the interviews, um, and, and and then it's you know it's it's not an exact science as if I'm not sure any hiring process is an exact science and but uh, you know usually there's some consensus that's built and then there's a uh, a recommendation that's put forward that, uh, you know, Dan either supports or doesn't. How hard, just in general, was the the Jack Leggett situation? Because he was not, he certainly was not a failure. He was an institution, uh, had rich success overall, and he, he just needed to get to a different level, you know. The, the, it was decided that, hey, we want to try to, uh, you know, take, take it a little higher. How hard was that? to sort of deal with just given that it wasn't like your, I guess your typical situation where, you know, your coach is losing all the time and you got to make a change. And, and, and the, you have somebody who's such a sort of part of the fabric of, uh, of the athletics department and, and the school just with that, with that, uh, with that turnover. Yeah. Person, personally. Yeah. It, it was extremely difficult to be, a, you know, to kind of be a part of that, um, but at the same time, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the job. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up a mile from, from here and, uh, you know, I knew coach Leggett from the time I was a, a little kid, uh, coming to come some baseball games and, uh, you know, I, they, they'd have the batting cages that used to be behind first base, uh, the first base dugout. Um, and, you know, they would just be open. He would leave them open for us. And, you know, me and my buddies would go down there and we'd, we'd hit. And, you know, coach was always really, really good to me as when I was growing up. Um, he was obviously good to me whenever I was a, remember being a student athlete here. And, uh, you know, he was always an extremely supportive uh, guy, regardless of what sports you played, you know. Um, and then, yeah, you talk about the the success of the program uh, under his leadership. Uh, you know, it's you know, a lot of a lot of what we aspire to is is stuff that that he did, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's sometimes you can be your worst enemy because mm-hmm. you can have such great success, and then it just you know levels out or or, or whatnot, and uh, you know and. Uh, so at the end of the day, it was easy to answer your question. Yeah, it was it was it was very difficult, very difficult. I remember I don't remember what year. It might have been his second to last year. He was here. I remember standing out in right field talking to him after a practice about something called the academic common market. <clears throat> and I think I might have even spoken with you, interviewed you about it at the time. I was trying to get wrap my arms around it because it's something you hear about. Yeah but it's hard to sort of uh, put into layman's terms. 
Yeah, and, and it's yeah. and it, based on what I've heard uh, recently, it's still a, a significant issue for the baseball program. I know that soccer has to deal with it as well, and I, I'm sure you could talk for five hours on it because you're pretty in tune <laughs> with it. Can you maybe at first just give a layman's explanation of what it is for people who don't really know and for whom it's kind of a murky topic, and then maybe we can take it uh, take it a little deeper. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the NCAA has rules about uh, the financial aid that a student athlete can receive. Right. And so um, in sports like baseball and then soccer, these sports are, are considered equivalency sports, meaning that the guys that are playing those sports typically aren't on full rides. You know, a sport like football men's, women's basketball, volleyball, women's tennis, those are headcount sports, okay? Those, that means that if a student athlete on, those te- on any of those teams is, is on aid, more than likely they're on a full ride, okay? And so there is athletic aid, and we talk about these, these numbers, right? In baseball, there's 11.7 athletic scholarships that can be provided to all the guys on the team. Soccer, that number's 9.9. Athletic scholarships are countable. They're countable scholarships from an NCAA perspective. Institutional, any kind of institutional scholarship is is usually countable uh, against NCAA limitations. So if, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, if, uh, you know the 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 student or or the student athlete also got uh, you know a ten thousand dollar award from uh, maybe the school of education, then that would be countable unless it was like a national award. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's some there's a lot of parameters that are in place to determine whether it's countable or not countable aid. Most of the aid though that's provided at Clemson by Clemson would be considered countable aid. Where the academic common market comes into play is that it comes from a consortium of, of states that uh, have all agreed to uh, work with each other so that they don't really have to duplicate academic programs in one state versus another, right? So mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, Oklahoma, um, Kentucky, uh, I'm trying to think of some others, um, Virginia, uh, Virginia is a good one. Um, the idea that these states have kind of grouped together so that if a, if a kid in the state of Virginia wanted to study, I don't know, um, health and international trade, all right, or, or something along those lines, uh, language international trade, then, and they don't have that specific program in the state of Virginia, and he or she could go somewhere else inside of that group of states, find that major, go to that school at an in-state rate, mm-hmm. Okay. At Clemson, those the very the you know the difference the variance between in-state rate and out-of-state rate is pretty significant. Uh, 
uh, and it's pretty significant at pretty much any state school that you that you look at, um, whether it's in the state of South Carolina or not. Um, and so that's a that's a huge that's a, that's a big deal, right? So uh, typically the in-state rates about I don't know maybe let's let's say if out-of-state rate was a hundred percent, then the in-state the in-state rate would be about sixty-five percent of that, mm-hmm. right? And so or seventy percent of that. So you got about a you know you got some significant gains that you can get by just moving a kid from out of state to in state. So a kid coming from Georgia where you may have to give that kid a, I don't know, 25% scholarship or 50% scholarship uh, to play baseball at Clemson. That gets his bill down from 50,000 to 25,000. If he is in the academic common market, now you may only have to give him a 30% scholarship. Right, still gets his bill down to about twenty five thousand, but you save twenty percent on the athletics countable aid side of things. Twenty percent that now you can give to somebody else. Maybe it's that that prospect that you only had, you know, fifty percent to give to, but he's a or seventy percent to give to, but he's a Seth Beer type guy, and you need to get him get him closer to full ride. Uh, you got that twenty percent to give to them. So I, I don't know how good a job I did yeah. at explaining that, but that's that's kind of the you know kind of the uh, the essence of it. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. At Harris Home and Harris Commercial, they want you to get every detail right. Harris means beautiful design that delivers taste, style, and comfort. It's a legacy of integrity built by generations of outstanding reliability and service. It's all about creating just the right look, the perfect feel, and dependable function for every room in your home or any business setting. Folks at Harris are Clemson people based in Anderson. A lot of Clemson University's recent facilities improvements have Harris's fingerprints all over them. For endless flooring possibilities and breathtaking renovation, the only name you need to know is Harris. Website is discoverharris.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding, so I don't know how many years ago, but years ago, Clemson started participating in it and then, I guess, more recently decided not to. And in my understanding, it was just, it's really expensive because it's not just athletes, it's it's regular students as well um, who, who you open it up to. And so that, that money adds up and they, so they're no longer a part of it. Am I getting that right? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there there are. Uh, well, we, we are still we're, we're we're still a part of. Oh, okay. It. Um, it's just limited. It's a very limited uh, participation. But it, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it it can be expensive on one hand, but then there's also some some regulations that are in place in terms of the number of waivers that can be provided, uh, and that's uh, I think I don't. I may be speaking out of turn a little bit here, but I think that's a more of a state regulation mm-hmm. uh, that's placed on top of our university. So it's not just that our university makes the decision not to participate in something. It's there's some state regulations in place too for the number of waivers that can be uh, be applied. And, and, and the academic common market, just to be clear, is is just one tool. It's one tool to help hopefully solve. Uh, an issue that exists where, um, you know, the cost of going to school has, you know, increased significantly, you know, from the time when, when, when some of our quality sports were in their heyday. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's just one, it's one tool. There are others that are out there that, that, that do exist. Um, State scholarships are non-countable, right? So the life scholarship and the Palmetto scholarship, those types of things, those are non-countable. Now, of course, you have to recruit, you're recruiting kids out of the state of South Carolina to fill your roster, which we do. You know, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure anybody recruits this, this state as good as our baseball, our baseball program has done a phenomenal job of recruiting this state. Uh, you know, whether that's, you know, and, and Monty has, has, has been, uh, you know, committed to doing that. Um, and that's, that's important because of the, the cost associated for the kids that come into the program is much lower if they're in-state kids. Uh, but there are other non-countable aid opportunities that are out there. Uh, it's just that the academic common market was one that kind of crossed state lines for us that, um, that made some sense. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, maybe be a tool that we can use going forward as well. And another facet of it that I guess that can put Clemson at a, at a disadvantage is some of these, some of these schools that are participating, um, who have massive endowments such as North Carolina, Virginia, Vanderbilt. Think again, correct. Feel free to correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but they're able to allocate a lot. Of, they're able to take a lot of money from their endowments to basically fund some of these uh, scholarships in in the in the equivalency sports like baseball. Yeah, so there's um, the way that works. You, you've got, you know, and really you see a lot with private schools, right? Because private schools typically operate with with significant endowments. Um, uh, but the way that works is that the university itself has adopted some sort of financial aid model or for financial aid um, uh, priority, right? Um, and it's a priority that then athletics can potentially benefit from um, a lot of the private schools there's there's need-based aid that uh, uh, that can be pretty substantial in terms of identifying the the income of of a family and uh, you know that that income level shifts it could be at it could be at 
you know, you pick a number. I mean, it could be a fifty thousand dollars. So if your family income is 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 less than fifty thousand dollars, then you're going to get a bunch of need based aid. But some schools, that number is significantly higher than that. Some schools, you're looking at one hundred fifty or two hundred thousand dollars in some cases. That if your family income is less than that, you're receiving need based aid. Uh, that need based aid, for the most part, and actually. I think in all part now, uh, given new NCAA rules, is non-countable. And so uh, now the one thing that you couldn't do in previous years, uh, which I think is changing as well, is you couldn't package that need-based aid with athletics aid. So a student-athlete would be pre- presented with two different packages, right? You've got an athletics aid package, or athletics award package, or you've got this institutional award package, which would include your, your need-based aid. Um, a lot of times that need-based aid at places like maybe a Vanderbilt is larger than what your athletics award would have been. And so what happens is that athletics award that was put on the table, and maybe let's say it was at you know a 50% award, and you had an institutional award that was sitting on the table that's maybe at 75 or 80 percent well you you take that 75 or 80 percent award that 50 percent goes back into the pocket of the whatever coach is trying to uh recruit and they can go out and now they can recruit somebody with that 50 percent plus another 50 percent now they're now they got a full ride for a kid that you know wouldn't have needed the need-based aid or maybe didn't hit another priority financial aid priority for the university um, and that's kind of that's kind of how it works. Uh, and uh, again, that's not across the board. So don't 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 the narrative. And I think the narrative is sometimes run away from us. Uh, this is happening everywhere. Well, it's not happening everywhere, you know. But it is a it is a reality at a handful of schools. Um, and it's a handful, you know, handful of schools that you know the names pop. Right. You're like, well, how did they get so good? Well, one, they've got some really good coaches. Two, they've got some tremendous competitive advantages based on, you know, these financial aid rules, the way they're written. How often do you hear about this from Monty and Mike Noonan? Um, not a lot. You know, yeah. they don't, uh, they don't, they don't bang the drum a lot. They, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's definitely a conversation and we talk about it annually, right? Because it's, it is a reality of, of, of our programs. Um, and so we want to make sure that our programs are resourced as best as they possibly can be. Um, but there's so many other factors that go into building a program and building a team. You know, uh, you can do it. You can build a national championship, you know, competing team with the, with the resources that we have available. Uh, you know, Coach Noonan and his group they haven't they haven't won the national championship yet, but they've proven at least that they can be in the hunt for it. Um, you know, Monty and his crew, uh, you know, obviously won an ACC championship in a tournament setting. Uh, I think they, I know they uh, tied for a regular season championship, I think two years later in 2018. 
um, you know, 2019 was a was a was an off year, and then you know felt like we were back in the hunt again in in 2020 uh, before we got blown up by COVID, right? And so, you know, it can be done, and I think I think we got the right folks in place that have the right mentality that hey, there's it's more than just that. That's that's part of the that's part of the the puzzle. It's a piece to the puzzle. And we got to continue to work to figure out, okay, how can we, how can we get more in this area, uh, you know, to, to help our programs uh, be successful. And, and really, that that piece is going to be one of those things where there are going to be ups and downs, and the ups and downs are a result of the reality that, you know, you can't have a backup. You're not going to have a backup. Uh, and I hate to do this, but I got to do it because the, the 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 example that resonates is, is football, right? When you got eighty five scholarships, you can have a back, you can have two backup five star quarterbacks. Well, you're not going to have backup five star pitchers. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. You don't. You're not going to have the. You can't have that much aid to put in to backups. You know, it, it's going to be more of a a cyclical thing, and so there will be some ebbs and flows with our performance uh, that maybe you look back at the record books you hadn't seen uh, in, in, in Clemson's history. But at the same time, I, I really truly believe we got the right people in place that will get us and give our guys, our teams, the opportunity to reach the mountaintop uh, from time to time. And so that's, uh, that's just kind of the, where we're at right now. So you back in o two o three you worked in administration at Virginia Tech, then you come back down to your alma mater to to work in the football office with Tommy Bowden. Did you get here the same time Dabo did? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, I was uh, in the room when when Dabo came in to interview. <laughs> uh, you know, it was I, I, it's not like they they didn't ask my opinion. I was a GA, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I remember the debates around the table. Um, you know about okay, and I, I don't remember the the other guy. There were two guys that interviewed for the job, uh, but and I can't remember the other guy. And I can't, you know, I, but I just remember the uh, you know the reality that you know Dabo was coming not from another football school or another football job. He was coming from the business world at that time, right? He was I think a year year or two removed from Alabama, coaching at Alabama, uh, but. Shoot, you know, I mean, his his personality shown through on that interview, just like it's shown through for the last what now, eighteen years here at Clemson. Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting. I was actually I was in the room probably with Billy Napier at the time. Billy and I were uh, were the offensive GAs uh, whenever that that hire took place. Well, what do you remember from from your first impression of Dabo? Oh my gosh. It's just, he is who he is. Right. I mean, it's, it's so authentic, you know, and it has got nothing to do with position. Didn't matter what, if he's the, if he's the wide receivers coach or the head coach, right. It doesn't matter if he's, you know, making back then it wasn't like, uh, assistant coaches were making, a lot of money. They're making. They're making enough money to 
we're doing fine or making what he's making now. It didn't matter. You know, he's just, wow. Just even then, his, his presence in the room hasn't changed. And, uh, you know, I've never met somebody. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I do have a couple of folks that I would, that I've met that have that type of disposition that, you know what, it's going, it's, everything's good. Everything's good and everything's going to be good. Um, you know, I was fortunate to marry somebody that had a similar type of disposition. Not that I ever want to marry Dabo, but, uh, you know, but that, 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 that was that same outlook on life. And it's just like, and that to me is like shocking because that's not, my, you know, I'm the, I'm more kind of, all right, it's not, the, the sky's not falling, but it's not nearly as good as that kind of thing. Um, but no, it's always that good. And, and I mean, it's hard to argue with him. You know, when you, when you look at the lives, the, the lives he's impacted and, uh, you know, the way he has impacted our program, it's hard to argue with him that, you know what, life is good and it's going to keep being, you know, it's, it's always going to be good kind of thing. So I've often said that <clears throat> Rick Stockstill made the most important decision for the his, for the history of Clemson football and also the most important decision for Devo Sweeney's life because if he doesn't get the itch to leave and go to East Carolina which was not like a conventional move he was just going to be yeah. OC if he doesn't yeah. do that at that time then Dabo probably doesn't get another job like he probably it spends another year in commercial real estate, a third year, there's no way that, if, that that he gets back into football after that. Three years away from the game, and so maybe not. Well, maybe not. It, I would not. I, 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 I don't want to say no way, way in no, front okay. of Dabo. That's anytime. right. That's right. Probably that's probably too strong in this instance because of who he is. But what I guess. Highly, well, Rick still does deserve a statue. You're right. <laughs> highly likely that if we're talking about Dabo Sweeney right now, we're probably talking about like the most successful commercial real estate person <laughs> in the country or something like that. You know, uh, he would have, yeah, he would have been, he would have been highly successful at whatever, but I, I can't, it's hard to wrap your mind around the impact of, of that one decision by, uh, by coach stock. But, um, so how ironic is that, you know, a guy that was here from, Ford, the Hatfield, the West, the yeah. Bowden. You know, that's the guy that uh, that Dabo replaced. That's, uh, and, and, you, and you know, you talk about probably the most beloved assistant yeah. coach, you know, in Clemson history to that time. I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's others. I'm sure there's some of, some of my father-in-law's buddies would probably call out another assistant coach. But, you know, everybody loves Coach Stock. Yeah. Everybody still loves Coach Stock. I mean, every during the pandemic, I mean, I was on a couple of Zoom calls with some old teammates, and who jumps on the call? <laughs> Coach Stock. You know, it's like there he is. He's yeah, but no, nah, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. So funny how life happens. Yeah. When did you decide? Okay, football coaching probably not for me. I'm going to get into administration. Oh, I was probably in the fourth grade, maybe. Fourth oh, so this grade. was this was all part of the plan. You weren't working for Bowden, yeah. just you had yeah. already had your mind no, made was, up. 
Yeah, no, yeah. I, it was fourth or fifth grade, somewhere around there, whenever uh, Jack Crow got the job. He went and got the OC job at Arkansas. Took my best friend Scott with him. And then uh, I was like, you know what, I'm tired of it. And then I think a year later, uh, you know, Cliff Ellis, uh, you know, gets removed here and takes another another one of my best friends with him whenever he goes on to Auburn. And, you know, just coaches, coaches kid after coaches kid is – is my best friend and they're leaving and I'm like you know one day I'm going to make the decision about who stays and who goes well you know what that is that is that's childhood logic right and childhood logic is not what you should build careers on because at the end of the day you know you get put in situations where you you make more friends and the next thing you know you realize that one you don't have control over who stays and who goes and then sometimes you're involved in situations where your friends have to go, right? Yeah. And you have to be part of that part of that process. And it, you know, it's not easy. Uh, it's not. It's not. Not what I. Not what I necessarily envision. Doesn't mean that I don't enjoy my job and don't appreciate my job. I do. Um, but uh, the, the rationale for why I got into it uh, was was not uh, not very sound. So you more than anybody given how many of your friends you lost as a result of the coaching industry being what it, what it was should have a greater appreciation than anybody of what the staff continuity under Dabo has been of how rare that is because there's a lot of, there's a lot of kids (laughs) at, uh, who've been at, at, at Clemson elementary at Edwards and Daniel who have been friends with a lot of these a lot of these coaches' kids for a long time, like it's it's just it's a isn't it a amazing, uh, just how long most of these coaches are are sticking around. It is, it, it absolutely is, and it's one of those things. It's a it's first and foremost a credit to to Dabo, and uh, you know, kind of you know the uh, the culture that he's built. I mean, that's first and foremost, and then. I'd say second, it's it's a credit to, to Dan and uh, you know his leadership, uh, you know, in, in 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 his vision to help you know help Dabo continue to build what's uh, what's being built down there. What? You know, actually, the resources are are really really good. Yeah. What did you learn most from uh, from working under Terry Don Phillips? Terry Don, you know, Terry Don was a, uh, and is, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous guy. Um, you know, I think, I think working under him, just uh, the value of, of the people, right? And, um, and the people that he led and the people that, uh, you know, he uh, supported in the jobs that they did. I mean, you, you you always knew where you stood with him in terms of that and uh, how much that he, he truly cared for the people uh, that, that, that worked for him and worked with him. Um, you know, uh, and, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to like highlight positives of Terry Don and that like they're 
but not positives for for my my current boss because that's not the case but it's just you know we all have our strengths and and i think i think you know terry terry dunn was in here he'd be the first to tell you um you know he's not a an extroverted kind of guy but in one-on-one situations you know it's it's as real as it gets and uh and I think that was that was something that I, I very much appreciated, and uh, I think I've, I've probably taken away from my experience, and my time uh, working for him, is that those those individual relationships are are very very important. You know, even if you're sitting in a corner office, which I'm not, but you know, who knows? One day I may be sitting in a corner office somewhere, and uh, um, you know, I think it's I think it's really important to to recognize that. You know, we all have value, and uh, and t- nobody does. Nobody's nobody I've ever seen does that better than than Terry Don did. Whenever I had a meeting scheduled with him, like an interview or whatever, uh, it would you know he show up at his office. I don't know, whatever, one thirty, two thirty. I would, <laughs> I quickly learn block off the rest of the afternoon because usually, <laughs> usually a a thirty minute interview is going to turn into an hour and a half long just casual conversation about a bunch yeah. of stuff and uh always always treasured those those uh those visits with him and that, and, yeah and that's a great example i mean that's that's the way it the way it worked like if it, it wasn't that wouldn't happen just passing in the hallway you weren't going to get that from terry don just passing all that. but if you sat down with terry don yeah you're going to get in and anybody everybody you know that 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 had that opportunity, and not not, not that everybody did have that opportunity because they didn't. But those that did have that opportunity, I think you'd hear the same story over and over again. One of uh, a conversation I'll never forget was right after it was '07, December of '07, when they announced that uh, Tommy Bowden had been extended after his uh, courtship with Arkansas, and I was talking with Terry Don afterward. <clears throat> And I was just, this was, it was an off the record chat. And I just said, just out of curiosity, what would you have done, you know, had he, had he left, had he gotten on that plane and, and gone to, to Arkansas, who, who, who are the first people you would have called? And I want to say he mentioned, uh, maybe Jim Grobe, I forgot, uh, a couple other names. Then he said, and I would have considered somebody on our staff. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it was a lesson in uh, in good reporting and good listening because I I didn't ask the f- obvious follow up question. I just so I just assumed it was for for like a year or less than a year, I guess. I just assumed, oh well, you know, Brad Scott has been a head coach. Vic Coning has been a head coach. I just took it for granted that it would have been one of those guys. And then lo and behold. The following, the following October, I asked them. I finally followed up. Was was Davo the one you were talking about? Yep. Now he I, he, he did. I don't know if you know the, the situations were so different because Davo wouldn't have had the audition period, you know, that he had in '08. But I'm just curious when it first registered in your mind, or your observations or insights he shared with you that that he really thought. Dabo was was that kind of special. Yeah, I know. I remember when um, 
and I can't remember the year. It may have been 2007. It may have been, may have been, uh, may have been right before 2008 season. I don't know, but I know that Dabo uh, was a finalist for the South Alabama job, and uh, uh, and I remember talking with Terry Don about it, and you know, Terry Don was like, I just told him he doesn't need to take that job. He said. And so when he told when he told me that, I was like, "All right, I see it now. I see what you know. You know, that's that's kind of that was kind of him telling me that you know he sees Dabo for bigger and better things, which obviously in our mind around here, bigger and better is Clemson. So uh, I think that was probably the first time I really uh, understood that it, that that was where he held held Dabo. There was also the I think it was UAB that he really wanted that job. I don't know if, I think it was right around that time, maybe the year before. And he had, as he told me a couple of years ago, he had put together his binder and mm-hmm. he was going to go to, to, to Birmingham and, 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 and knock their socks off. Like he, I think he had an interview scheduled like the next day. And, but then like, I think right when he was about to leave, they called and said, Hey, we, we hired Neil Calloway. And he was just, he said he had his slogans ready, like Blazer Nation. <laughs> and and he, I mean, you, you can't convince me that had he interviewed, like, he was he would have gotten that job, you know. But uh, it's, yeah. it is crazy. Well, I, mean, I think the other one, I think the other one was another former Alabama assistant. You know, that's kind of the, yeah. that was kind of the thing. You know, Debo got, he got kind of booted out of Alabama, whereas those two guys were, still I don't I don't know if they did I think they were just transitioning from Alabama assistants to you know head coach at South Alabama or head coach at Alabama or Birmingham so sometimes that's a that's a fallacy and that's a that's a a fault right of us that do the hiring you know we we, we put too much stock in you know where somebody's coming from instead of you know, really getting to know who somebody is. And that's, it's hard sometimes in interview processes, but uh, uh, definitely a lesson for, for all of us to learn, um, you know, regardless of, you know, what type of business you're in. Of course, a hundred percent of Clemson fans right now will say they all believe that, that Dabo <laughs> was, <laughs> was, uh, was, the right choice. was the right choice. Of course, that's false. Those are probably the same. That's the same hundred percent that, uh, you know, wanted Coach Bowden fired after uh, I think after we're on our ride back from Wake Forest. Yeah. Which, to be honest with you, he's the only. Well, he ended up the, the Wake Forest game ended up getting him in 2008. But he's the only head coach that I can think of on record that's lost to Wake Forest and kept his job. <laughs> um, but then that same hundred percent about a month later was wearing Terry Don out for not re-upping <laughs> to Tommy Bowden. Um, yeah, it's just kind of the way it goes, right? Isn't that the way that it just ebbs and flows? It's almost like being in the ocean, you know, high tides now, low tide, high tide, low tide, back and forth. Well, what did you think? Like you're inside your mind in 08, as he's the interim guy, I mean, he, it's, it's I mean, it's not easy to, to, to watch what he's doing and say, yeah, this this is, this is this guy's gonna do it. It was it was way easier to look and say, wait, what is he doing again? Like, why is he running out in front of the team, <laughs> running down the hill, <laughs> you know? And uh, why is he so, you know, boisterous? And what what did you think at in the moment? Well, 
couple things. One, I mean, I don't think I ever, I, I definitely didn't think we were going to be where we are today. I never envisioned that's in my life, right? Never envisioned that Clemson would be the, when I was coming up, it was Nebraska. I never, I never envisioned Clemson was going to be the Nebraska of college football, you know? Um, so never, never, never thought that even when in 2008, when I see him running and all that kind of stuff and all the slogans and all that, but everything I saw was that's Dabo. That's what I thought. Yeah. Like that's him. That's who he is. He's not putting on a show. Right. You know, everybody, a lot of folks were thinking, well, this guy's a clown or he's putting on a show. No, he's not. He wasn't. And he still isn't, you know, it's just who he is. You know, and that's the thing I go back to it. You asked me, I think earlier on, I, what was, what, you know, what's my, t- he's just the most, one of the most authentic people I've ever, I've ever met. And, uh, you know, and I think that's why he's had so much success, you know, the way he does it, you can't do it the way he does it and not be authentic. Now there's folks that have, that can be successful and, you know, put on a show, try to go, you know, like some of these coaches, I, I, I just crack up watching some of these coaches dance in the locker room. I'm like, eh. No, that's not you. <laughs> you can watch them. You can watch them dance. You know, yeah. Like if if you saw me dance in the locker room, yeah, you could tell it's that's not that's fake. That's all. That's not authentic. With that one, yeah, that's that's who he is. Um, you know, he don't. He's not there to put on a show. He's there to. He just. He just is who he is. And uh, so at the end of the day, that's what I thought in two thousand eight. You know, I heard a lot of noise about folks saying, you know, he's this, he's that. But no, um, I thought, no, he's who he is. And, you know, I would love for him to have the opportunity because he was always the kind of guy that, you know, I could see leading men or leading young men. He's a guy that uh, I could always envision myself wanting to have played for. Not that I didn't enjoy playing for the folks that I played for, but it's like you, you pick out somebody. You're like, hey, who would you like to play for? Oh, my gosh. Padabo Sweeney. Heck yeah! Who wouldn't want them? Who wouldn't want their son to go play for Dabo Sweeney? I mean, you got to be almost sadistic not to want your kid to play for Dabo Sweeney. Um, and uh, and so saw that early on, but it never, never, never envisioned. Shoot, I, I was hoping you know one day we might win an ACC championship. You know, a few years yeah. later we did. Wow. Okay. Um, of course, everybody won an empire right before we did that too. So. Uh, that was that whole ebb and flow thing, right? Um, 2010 wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't a highlight. So you grew up in the. I'm sure you had a had a great attachment to the glory days of the '80s, uh, growing up around here. And um, I'm just curious, though. Actually, we just got done with a like a lengthy 15 part series on the on the uh, the Danny Ford era. And when you go back and read about it, 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 it there's a it's a lot a much it's a lot more of a roller coaster I think than uh, than maybe people want to remember with you know NCAA mm-hmm. probation and uh, steroids and uh, you know Danny fighting with the ACC fighting with his administration it and then you know losing more games uh, it was just a rockier period I think maybe than 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 uh, uh, than, than some of the some folks might remember just because of the passage of time. I'm curious from your perspective how much that sort of a that history is an affirmation 
an even greater affirmation of what is being accomplished now, just given that, given that how many right things, right ways that Dabo has built the program and, you know, free of hardly any, any controversy or scandal or anything of that sort. Um, I'm just curious your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, first, and and you've heard me say, I mean, you said it, I mean, credit starts with Dabo 100. I mean, it really does. Uh, Contact so it needs to be applied as well, right? I mean, we've got a uh, we've got a university, and, and part of it's because of Dabo, but we've got a university that is aligned mm-hmm. in every which in every way possible, right? Which I'm not sure that was the case in the 1980s, right? There's there there was that alignment didn't necessarily, and maybe some of it was, you know, Coach Ford's personality, but. I don't think that was it. You know, I think there's more to it than that. Cause I think, I mean, everybody that knows coach Ford knows he can, he can get along with a lot of folks. And, uh, I'm not sure that happened, uh, you know, when he was here, uh, you know, so you got that. And then you also have the, the context of college football at that time, you know, the idea that, yeah, you know, yeah, we were on on probation a couple of times. Got 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 popped a couple of times for doing things not the right way. Um, and you know, and maybe this is a narrative that anybody that gets popped uh, throws out there. But I truly believe at that time we were not the only ones, and there were a lot of folks that uh, kind of flew under the radar for sure. Uh, that that probably shouldn't have um so uh so anyways i i I like to i like to consider them as just two separate things um you know i think where we're at right now yeah absolutely um this is definitely the the best of times right and as Dabo says the best is yet to come well i'm not going to i'm not going to uh dispute him because it seems like after after we think it's the best it just it does kind of get better, but uh, it's pretty dang good right now. Um, and and it was really good back in the 1980s too. It really was. I mean, what a great time to to grow up in Clemson. Uh, I mean, you know, across the board. You know, I mean, all of our all of our sport programs at that time were in a in a very uh, very good spot. Uh, you know, from a competitive advantage standpoint within the league. Uh, you know, no other. The very few other athletic programs in the league at that time fully funded all their sports and Clemson did. And we, we made the most of it, uh, with, with tons of ACC championships and, uh, uh, a couple of nice, you know, few national championships, a couple of soccer, football, that kind of thing. And so, uh, I think that was a great time to grow up in Clemson, which was my opportunity. Now is a great time to grow up in Clemson, which is my kids opportunity. So, uh, I just hope we can. I just hope we can keep it going. Kyle Young, thank you so much for sharing so much of your time to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it, man. All right, Larry. Appreciate you, buddy. Okay, thanks to Kyle Young for some great conversation. Also, thanks to our very loyal sponsors for helping making this happen. And last but certainly not least, thanks to all of you for hitting play on this thing every single week. Appreciate it. Everybody have a great weekend.
and be safe. Cheers. <laughs>